Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. I am your host, Kim Smith, and we are on episode 139, Uncontrolled Rage Burns All in Its Path. I've been thinking a lot about rage as I prepared for this podcast, and I thought about two diverse elements of nature and, I guess, scientific facts. Um, When I say it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. So when I was thinking about rage, of course, we're talking today about the human type of rage and just how dangerous uncontrolled rage can be. And we're going to see it as we continue to talk about Saul and his jealousy of David and his rage toward David. We're going to talk about just the destruction that was brought about as a result of one man's out-of-control emotions. But I also thought about two elements that happen not when it comes to people, but when it comes to the natural world and what is around us. So the first one I'm going to mention is a raging storm. So I am sitting here in South Louisiana now two months and about a week, two months and a week post one of the most powerful storms ever to hit the United States, that being Hurricane Ida. Talk about a raging storm. And I'm in the same house that I stood and or sat for somewhere around eight hours of just one gust after another, after another, after another. I've sat through hurricanes before. I have lived in Southeast Louisiana now since 2002. And I have evacuated for some storms and then I have stayed. I did not stay for Hurricane Katrina and by God's grace, number one, I was not allowed where I lived and number two, that would have just been I would have been with Jesus. Like, that's just how that one would have worked. But for this one, I felt very strongly that I should stay. And I think I understand each and every day more why that was. But a raging storm. So I'm inside of a house, but I cannot even fathom what it would have been like to attempt to stand, like physically stand, as you had winds of over a hundred miles an hour coming at you and not just coming at you one time, two times, but for hours upon hours upon hours. As I look around me in the room where I am seated every day, it seems that I see a little more of the damage. So my house compared to many, it took on the raging storm And it still stood, but it was impacted. There is no doubt. And I seem to keep finding more and more places each and every day where it was affected. 
That's one category, raging storms. Just try to imagine attempting to control that raging storm. Only God, like only God could control a raging storm. It's something that is out of human control. And then we've got raging fires. So how many times have you looked at the news you have seen on your social media news feed that there are fires raging? Usually it's in California. It doesn't have to be in California, but often it is in California. And you see the utter devastation of one person very possibly lighting one match, one tiny match. And that simple spark can burn thousands of acres of land, houses, people, animals all in Australia. Just what was it, a couple of years ago? Like it was just so the devastation was so incredible. That's how rage looks in nature, in, in, the, in the world around us. You can see how forces that are out of control from a human perspective, how devastating they can be. Thankfully, when it comes to fires, now with hurricanes, there is no stopping them. But thankfully, with fires, there is such a thing as starting a controlled blaze where they will start a fire line or they will start an area where they will use fire, the same component that is raging out of control, but because of the way that they do it, in other words, because of the way they have a handle on it, they know exactly, well, I won't say exactly, but they think that they know exactly how it is going to react in the environment. They use it to try to control the out of control storm, storm, uh, fire, firestorm. Yeah, there we go. The whole idea of anger, we've talked about it before on this podcast. I've taught on it so many times. I have blogged about it. I, I've thought a lot about the whole concept of anger. I thought uh, as I was preparing a blog post and a lesson a couple of years ago about what, what righteous anger looks like and what I determined was that number one, righteous anger is an anger that is focused on something that would cause God to be angry. For instance, human trafficking. We should be angry. We should do our part to make sure that that just mess from the pits of hell is destroyed. And then the second component was what I really thought through was with righteous anger, it's anger that you control, not anger that controls you. Because you can have a righteous cause and still act in a sinful manner 
if the anger inside of you causes you to do sinful things. And there's such a fine line from a human standpoint trying to think through that. In today's story, the thing is, King Saul, in his mind, probably believed he was justified. That's what's so scary about our human minds and emotions. Years ago, I had a little booklet that I read, and I want to say it was maybe by Dr. James Dobson, and it was about emotions. Can you trust them? And he said, no. And I remember, I remember reading that book, and I was just really trying to understand that. But I understand it much more now because our emotions can so put blinders on our judgment. Where you think that you are doing the right thing, just think, if we're talking about Saul today in the Old Testament, well, let's think about Saul in the New Testament. What do we have there? We have Saul, who is a absolutely strict as you can be Jew, who is out killing Christians, and he is doing this. He believes that it's the right thing to do. It's not, but he believes it because he has so routed his heart and his mind to believe that Christians are going against God, and he needs to be a part of destroying them. You and I, we have applications from today's story, and I'm going to share with you some of the ones that God has been working in my heart even today to bring about. So we're in 1 Samuel 22, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and we've talked the last three weeks about what's going on in 1 Samuel 22. Two weeks ago, we talked about David, and we only went over the first few verses, and we were talking about him hiding out in the cave of Adullam. He is being stalked by King Saul. King Saul has him in his sights, and he wants to kill David at any cost. And sadly, we're going to see that today. And we talked about the fact that David goes off. He's in hiding. And not only do his relatives show up to be with him, but 400 men who were either in trouble, in debt, or who were just discontented, also followed him. And we talked about, you know, whose crew? Who's your crew? Like, David had this motley crew that were following him, but that, that motley crew were men who ended up being a part of God's movement that was in David's life and that happened in Israel. And then last week, we kind of veered off just a little bit. We talked about two different psalms that were written by David while in a cave. And we don't know if it's the cave of Adullam, which is in chapter 22, or the cave of, I think it is in Gedi, in chapter 24 that we haven't gotten to. So we talked about just those cries of our heart from the caves of life. And this week, we're going to want to cry. Uh, because we're going to see a story that just you, just you just want to scream. And you want to say, oh my, why in the world did 
one man cause so much heartache. The thing is, it happens all the time where one man or one woman with an out-of-control rage inside of them makes unwise decisions and destroys multiple lives. Today's lesson is going to be destroys them as in literally wipes them off of the face of the earth. We're going to talk about how this applies to you and I. Lord willing, none of us are going to have a rage that is going to cause us to blow up buildings, that is going to cause us to stalk people, that is going to cause us to go after an entire family. Like, Lord willing, if you are even considering that, please call 911 right now. But there are ways where we can destroy multiple lives because of uncontrolled rage and not physically take their lives. So let's read the first few verses of this just to set the stage. So, so David left Gath, escaped to the cave of Madullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. Later, David went to Mizpah in Moab, where he asked the king, please allow my father and my mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So David's parents stayed in Moab and the king during the entire time that David was living in his stronghold. And if you want to know the significance of him having them in Moab, you can listen to the podcast a couple of times ago. Then verse 5, one day the prophet Gad told David, leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Hereth. I am going to go back just a little bit and and help set the stage. So David David had run off and David was scared. He was so concerned about Saul and what Saul was going to do. So initially... David, after he and Jonathan say their tearful goodbye, David takes off and he thinks that he cannot be in the land of Israel because Saul is going to find him there. So David takes off, he goes to Gath, and we have the entire chapter of 21 talks about David and him going to Ahimelech the priest and the interactions that happen there. And we talked about that before, but I want to go back and highlight a particular verse that that occurred in that scripture. So David is in Gath. David is, is talking to the priest. And in verse seven, we read, Now Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief herdsman, was there that day, having been detained before the Lord. It's just this little one-line statement that's in that text that you notice it, like you're like, that's just odd for that to be stuck in the middle. But every time I see it, every time I read it, and I mentioned it whenever we went over those scriptures, I think of it, pretty much all of us have watched television. I can't imagine that there's anybody that's listening to this that probably has not watched television. And you've seen those shows where you'll be watching along and you think you know what's going on in the story. And all of a sudden you will see this one character that like appears in the background and you're like, what's, what are they doing there? Um, And eventually that becomes a big deal 
in the story. One of the things I've been listening to, a ton of Christian novels. Right now, I am on the O'Malley series by Dee Henderson. And one of the things that you kind of begin to listen for is there are seven O'Malley kids that are the focus of this. And you can kind of tell which one will probably be the focus of the next book because the author not only introduces them, but kind of brings them out. They're not the main character, but you can see that, hey, they're probably going to be the focus of the next book. That's kind of how this went, where you had the one line, and it was like David was running, and he doesn't want to be found because he knows Saul's going to kill him, and yet he looks up, and there is Saul's chief herdsman, uh-oh, like this is not going to go down well. So back to 22, now let's follow through. The news of his arrival in Judah soon reached Saul. And at the time, the king was sitting beneath the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah, holding his spear and surrounded by his officers. Listen here, you men of Benjamin. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul shouted to his officers when he heard the news, Has that son of Jesse, that would be David, has that son of Jesse promised every one of you fields and vineyards? Has he promised to make you all generals and captains in his army? Is that why you have all conspired against me? For not one of you told me when my own son made a solemn pact with the son of Jesse. You're not even sorry for me. Think of it, my own son encouraging him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day. I'm going to stop there because the next verse will be very, very important. But, like, what? So, Jonathan in no way, shape, or form, Jonathan being Saul's son, Jonathan in no way, shape, or form, was encouraging David to kill his dad. Like, never did that happen. And these commanders of Saul's army, they weren't conspiring. David hadn't been offering them under the table, hey, if you will fight on my behalf, I'm going to make you a general when I am named king. Like, none of that was happening. Everything that Saul said was from his delusional brain. He had in his mind this false reality that everybody was out to get, get, out to get him, including his own son. And it all came down to he was so jealous of David and so scared for what David was going to do. David had zero ill intent against Saul, and we're going to see that again and again and again. We're going to see opportunities for David to take him out, and David says, no, he is God's king. No, but Saul had this reality. People who stalk others, people who have uncontrolled rage, they have a version of reality that is not reality. You know, I've watched over the years different shows that have to do with stalking. And just the mental illness that is involved in the thoughts of these stalkers, male and female, 
where they have this idea that the person that they are, are, you know, like whether they love or whatever it may be in their minds that this person loves them and the person may not even know that they exist. Like they come up with these alternate realities. That's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with Saul. Saul, who is uncontrolled rage personified. And then we've got the familiar name coming back in verse 9. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing there with Saul's men, spoke up. When I was at Nob, he said, I saw the son of Jesse talking to the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub. Ahimelech consulted the Lord for him. Then he gave him food and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, what Doeg said was absolutely correct. I mean, that was truthful. Every bit of that was truthful. David did go to the priest. The priest did intercede on David's behalf. He did give him food. He did give him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. But listen to Saul's, and I won't say response, listen to Saul's reaction. And the rest of these verses are some of the most challenging in scripture. Like you just, you, you just want to cry out. It says King Saul immediately sent for Ahimelech and all his family who served as priests at Nob. When they arrived, Saul shouted at him, listen to me, you son of Ahadab. What is it, my king? Ahimelech asked. Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? Saul demanded. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me as he is trying to do to this very day? Stopping again. What? <laughs> did Ahimelech and David conspire against Saul? Well, if you go back and look at the text, no, not even close. David did not even tell Ahimelech that he was running from Saul. He lied and said that Saul had sent him on this big time errand. So Ahimelech is totally blindsided by what's going on. He has no idea. He did give him a food and a sword, and he did consult God for him, which he had done many times while he was the commander of Saul's army. Why have you encouraged him to kill me as he is trying to do to this very day? David's not trying, and Ahimelech has no idea what Saul's talking about. If we were to be able to have a video of this event, we would see Ahimelech just with that clueless look on his face going, what in the world is this crazy king thinking? Verse 14, But sir, Ahimelech replied, Is anyone among your servants as faithful as David, your son-in-law? That's correct. David had been faithful to Saul. Saul just couldn't see it. Why? Why? He is the captain of your bodyguard and a highly honored member of your household. This was certainly not the first time I had consulted God for him. May the king not accuse me and my family in this manner, matter, for I knew nothing of at all of any plot against you, because there isn't one. So I added that. You will surely die, Ahimelech, along with your entire family, the king shouted. And he ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running from me, and they didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priest. Finally, somebody does something that makes some sense. Saul's men are looking at him like, you have lost your mind, and we're not killing a bunch of God men. 
Okay? Like, it just, Saul was off the chain. Keep reading. Then the king said to Doeg, back to Doeg the Edomite here, you do it. So Doeg the Edomite turned on them and killed them that day. Eighty-five priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. Then he went to Nob in uh, the town of the priest and killed the priest's families, men and women, children and babies, and all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. Only Abathar, one of the sons of Ahimelech, escaped and fled to David. When he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, David exclaimed, I knew it when I saw Doeg the Edomite there that day. I knew he was sure to tell Saul, Now I have caused the death of all your father's family. Stay here with me and don't be afraid. I will protect you with my own life for the same person wants to kill us both. Is this not one insane story? And it all started with Saul looking at David, hearing the crowd sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul ran with it, literally ran around in circles in his mind and came up with a false narrative. And in that false narrative, in those faulty thoughts, churned up an emotional firestorm that led to the death of 85 priests and their families. All because Saul was jealous of David. It is one incredibly sad story. And we may look at stories like this and like acknowledge that they're very, very sad. And we may think of those that we've known who are violent in nature, who have literally beaten someone because of their rage. And you may think that this lesson is for somebody like that. You may be thinking in the back of your mind, I would never do that. You know, I would never, ever hit another person. I would never lead to the death of another person. And I would hope that that's the case unless you were in a situation where it truly was righteous anger. But we're going to make this more personal because sometimes we need to be reminded that that bitterness that's inside of our hearts can murder others without the help of a gun or a knife or an army. God's word, Ephesians 4, 
31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Wow. Like having bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander all in the same phrase. That's not by coincidence, do you think? Do you think that when Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus that he just randomly came up with those terms? No, they all have to do with the condition of our hearts. Our anger may show in physical ways. That is possible. But you and I both know how does bitterness and or rage traditionally manifest itself in a milder, so to speak, society. It manifests itself with our tongues. So Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Let's look at this, and then we're going to the book of James. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. So we know that Saul is subject to judgment again and again and again for his murder of the priest and their families. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Uh-oh. So that means that anger that is sitting inside of our hearts is the same as murder. Now, again, we aren't talking righteous anger that is controlled where we are angry at the same thing that God is angry against. We're not talking about that kind of it. We know exactly what kind of anger this is. It may be a raging fire inside of you that if I knew to say so-and-so's name, we would immediately see that look of fire in your eyes. Or, you may be able to hide it a little better than that. But let's look at James 3. He's talking about not many of you should become teachers in the church because they will be judged more strictly. And I take that very seriously, especially the seat I'm sitting in right now. Verse 2. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Hold on to your seats. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. 
but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is, a rest, it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out from, uh, bubble out, both fresh water and bitter water. The tongue. The heart that holds anger. Whether it comes out in sarcasm, whether it comes out in flaming tongues of fire burning people, or it comes out in, quote, little bits of, a fire. I mean, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. We look at the story of Saul and we're disgusted by it. And we think, Saul, how, like, how in the world could you possibly go from being jealous of David to then killing 85 priests and their families. Like, how did you possibly allow your emotions to get so out of control and get and your, your thoughts to go so off track that you would lead to such destruction? And yet, how much destruction has come as a result of your out-of-control tongue. I'm letting that sit for a moment. Because I want God's Word that I have read to sink into you. I pray this moment that God would search you and know your heart, that he would test you and know your anxious thoughts, that he would point out any offensive way in you, including out-of-control anger or unrighteous anger, slander, bitterness, and that he would lead you in the way everlasting. The destruction that Saul perpetrated because he had uncontrolled rage. May that be as a flashing neon sign for you. That that venom that sits inside of you, that you either try to just push down so nobody else knows but you know, or that you take every opportunity to use that tongue 
or to use those typing fingers. So obviously Facebook was not around during biblical times. But just because you're using your fingers to either text or to put up a social media post, that is the tongue. It just is coming out in a different form, but it's the same evil that is coming out of your heart. For out of a man's heart comes all sorts of love, but also rage. Do you need to take some time right now to just go face down before the Lord and say, I am so sorry for the bitterness that I continue to hold in my heart. It is harming me, but it is harming those in its path. I just wonder what God is going to do. I just wonder how God is going to change lives. If you have any questions for me, you can reach out to me at encouragingothersandlovingjesus at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group. It's Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. Um, the links are in the show notes. Would love to hear from you. Would love to know how I could pray for you. Would love to know just what you're struggling with and how I might be able to point you in the right direction um, to, you know, either get counseling um, or and or to, you know, begin to work through some of the issues that have caused you to be that person that everybody's trying to avoid. Like, I'm not blind enough to thinking that everybody who tunes into this podcast is... 100% where they need to be with the Lord because there's not one of us, including the podcaster, who is any way, shape, or form in that place. God wants to work. And God will use even the out-of-control example of Saul to change lives. God uses, can use anything in his redemption story. May he use the anger that you have held to become a stepping stone for you to be the person that he wants you to be, as well as for you to touch others in a healthy, godly way as you move forward. Dear Father, in the name of Jesus, this, this particular lesson just hurts my heart, and I can't even imagine what it does for yours. But you know the people who are listening to the sound of my voice, and you know what you are saying to their hearts directly right now. I pray, dear Father, that every bitter root, dear Father, that you would pluck, that you would, you would not let one one piece 
of bitterness remain in the lives of those who are within the sound of my voice. Dear God, that you would give them the courage to hand their hearts over to you and allow you to heal them. Some have hurts that are from childhood that are so deep and they swear there is no way they are ever, ever, ever going to let go of that pain. But you, God, heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. And you, God, can use even what Satan intended for evil and use it for good. Please do just that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And as we close out today, I just want to remind you that this podcast is free for you to listen to. It's also free for you to share. Please consider sharing it with those in your life that you know could benefit or share it on your social media. Share it in whatever way. It's free. Um, And I keep it at that, uh, at least at this point, because I want God's word to go out to as many people as possible. I just, I need your help. I need your help because I can speak and I can say what God has laid on my heart. But I need others to continue to take the message and share it with others. And remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day. Mm -hmm.